0: Glorious God, when Jesus was baptized for your healing mission, the heavens opened in a flash of glory, as vision and voice blazed upon the waters. May your Holy Spirit so burn in us that we hear your word translated into deed, and to follow Jesus in paths of justice, right relationship, and peace. Amen. Just who do you think you are? It's a serious question. You don't have to respond now, but who do you think you are? If someone were to put together a dictionary entry, or perhaps a much more modern Wikipedia page, about all the people here this morning, what would your entry look like what would it say would you lead off with the relationship father of three grandma of four single husband or wife or would you lead off with what you do for a living or what you did for a living would you lead off with teacher mechanic customer service representative stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, or retired executive? Or would the fact that you can't do anything for a living be what you lead with, employed, out of work, on permanent disability? Would you lead off with a social identity, your race, your gender, your cultural heritage, your sexual orientation? Would you lead with progressive or conservative? Citizen of the USA? or the much more modest, Canada? Would you lead with your successes? Or would you lead with your struggles? Homeless, depressed, on and off the wagon, somebody who nobody ever gave a good chance. Or would you lead with your failures? Broken marriage, never see the kids, Or never found love in the first place. Prison sentence. Or never lived up to expectations that you've been given day one. If we were to come up with a Wikipedia page with all of us here on it, where would you lead off? Where would you begin with who you are? Because we tend to define ourselves by one or two things about us. The bad stuff, of course, leaves its mark on us. And it's less that these things have happened to us, that's less of the problem, or that we struggle with them. But it's more the fact that we become what's happened to us. We start defining ourselves by the ways we've fallen short or been victimized. And on the other hand, the good stuff always has its shadow side. Success becomes addictive, careers cannibalize families, and when these things are gone, or we can't do them anymore, our hands are left empty with nothing left to reach for. Either way, we all live with some kind of running definition of ourselves, of who we are, or who we were, or who we're supposed to be. So, short little entry, maybe like a nice photo of you. Or maybe it's a not nice photo of you. What would it say? Who do you think you are? Today's scripture passage begins with people just like you and I, people who are sure of who they are. And who they are, according to the scripture passage, has got to change. It begins with John the Baptist dunking people at the side of the Jordan River. I mean, I love this little tidbit of information. This is just a little aside. It's me sort of geeking out a little bit. But according to Luke, Luke only, according to Luke, John's in prison by the time Jesus makes his way to baptism. So who baptizes Jesus in Luke? doesn't say. I don't know. Somebody does. But it's not John, because John's locked away in prison. That's asides out of the way. I just It was just really interesting, so I'll leave that aside. But earlier in the chapter, Luke tells us that, bapt, that the baptism of John performed was for, he says, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Repentance, meaning turning away from those things that you've done or left undone that have tainted your life. And in committing yourself and undergoing this act, according to scripture, you were to be washed, you were to be made clean, made new. These are people living with all sorts of crushing definitions as to who they are, whether internal, guilt and failure, or external, shame, disgrace, or humiliation. And so it's easy to see why people made their way to John, because John's offering a new start, the promise of a new beginning, kind of a spiritual reboot. Start again, slate clean. Freedom from all the soul-stifling stuff that their dictionary entries have in them, right? And doing it, you'd wash it all away and start over. But by the time Jesus puts a toe in this current with the rest of the crowd, something entirely different happens. Jesus goes down to the water to wash like anybody else, like everybody else. But after that, it's not really your average baptism. I mean, I've seen some beautiful baptisms, but I haven't seen a baptism quite like this one. After his head goes under, it says, Jesus prays. And as Jesus prays, it says that the heaven was opened. I mean, the word in Greek is kind of like it was like split. It was like Right? And I don't know what that looks like exactly. I haven't quite seen it before. But what it means is that the boundary that divides the earthly, everything we can see, touch, and taste, and see, And the heavenly, the unseen, hidden reality of things, the spiritual reality of things, is pulled back. And as the heaven is torn apart, it says, the heaven opens and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. The creative power of God falls on him, it says, in bodily form, which I don't really know what that looks like, because, I mean, does it just mean... Literally like a dove, because a dove has a body. I'm not quite sure. And finally, the whole, when the, after the Holy Spirit falls, a voice comes from the split sky, straight down, booming. You are my son, it says. You are my son, the beloved. And with you, I am well pleased. You are my son, says the divine voice. And with you I am well pleased. These very simple words are kind of a combo of Old Testament passages. It combines the second verse, or the seventh verse of the second Psalm, used at the coronation of Israel's king as son of God, as well as the first verse of the 42nd chapter of Isaiah, a description of the servant of God. So in his baptism, Jesus' identity as God's beloved on one hand, God's chosen one, is revealed. And on the other, his servant mission of healing humanity. Reconciling us to God and each other. So it actually kind of changes the meaning of baptism altogether. What was once solely a ritual of repentance, a commitment, a chance at a new start, becomes for Jesus instead a moment of revelation. It's a divine unveiling of his true identity, a gift that was given from day one. And even though the world will pelt names at Jesus like sinner, fool, fake, liar, pretender, this is the identity that Jesus is given by his father. Here God claims Jesus as his own. You are my son, says the voice. You are my son, the beloved, and with you I am well pleased. It's who God says he is in his baptism. And this is who Jesus will be for the rest of the whole story, into death and beyond. If we were to ask Jesus who he was, I mean, Christ is obviously present to us, but if we were to ask him, if we were to include him in our little dictionary of those gathered here today, or our Wikipedia page, that's what it would say. This is my son, with him I am well pleased. The difference, of course, is that God's the author in this entry. It leads with who God says He is, not what Jesus, who Jesus says He is, at least not yet. And that no one, not even hatred, shame, sin or death, can ever take that away from Him. That's who Jesus is from beginning to end to hell and back. That's what Jesus' baptism means. And that's what our baptism means, too, through him. Baptism for us isn't like John's baptism. It's not a baptism that begins with our repentance, about our getting right with God, so we can be forgiven and made new, or even becoming part of an organization. You know, I mean, that really excites people when you're like, Hey, become part of a nonprofit organization. How spiritual. Yes. Our baptism is Jesus' baptism, which is first and foremost about the identity given to us by our Creator. It's first and foremost about who God sees us as, who we are according to God. Where we define who we are, By leading with our relationships, by leading with our fleeting successes, our limited social identities, and our soul-crushing, life-stunting failures, who we are, according to our baptism, leads with our election. Which is just fancy, biblical church-speak for God's unconditional, unmerited, unilateral love and favor for us all that other stuff that clings to us is metaphorically washed off, revealing our true selves, the self unmarred by sin. And the beauty of it is that there's nothing we have to do, nothing we have to earn, nothing we have to accomplish, nothing we have to fix that we've screwed up to receive this identity and this truth about us. And the truth is that it's true about us even before we're baptized. Because baptism isn't a whole new identity. Like with Jesus, baptism is an affirmation. It's what we call a sign, a seal in space and time of a promise that's already been made. Something that's already true and something that's always been true and something that will always be true. And that's why we can baptize babies in our church with the same joy as an adult. Because baptism is our little yes, teeny tiny human yes, to God's big yes to us. This is my son, this is my daughter, and with whom I am well pleased. It's about who we are first, not what we do. And that may seem strange, because religion is supposed to be about morals and being a good person, right? Christianity is about being good, right? I won't say wrong, but it's not, (laughs) at least not first. Because that's not good news. The good news is always first and foremost about what God has done. What we do is always the life lived in response to God. In baptism, we're claimed as Christ's forever. And that's the good news that we live out of. It's the deep well that we return to again and again and again to drink deep and to be nourished. It's the touchstone we refer to again and again and again, not the other way around. As the great South African Bishop Desmond Tutu once said, we are not loved because we are good, but we are good because we are loved. We are not loved because we are good, But we are good because we are loved. And that's who we are created to be. Loved. And to live out in goodness that love. From day one, God said so before we were born, and God says so into death, into eternity, and beyond. And it all occurs at the font of baptism. So, the question again, just who do you think you are? Who are you at the deepest spot, most important spot, cornerstone of your life? Baptism means that you're not your past, It means you're not measured by your great temporary victories, nor are you forever tainted by the sin of your petty defeats. It means that before anything else, before everything else, God gets to say who you are and what you're destined to become. Because according to your baptism, past or future baptism, God's definition of who you are leads with grace. You're loved, you're forgiven, your life is a seedbed for God's new creation. And that's the only measure that will ever, ever count. Before all else, it's the voice that says, you are my beloved daughter, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. Before all else, you are a child of the living God. And nobody can take that away. Nobody, never, not even you. So if you've been baptized, whether as a squirming, clueless child, or as a full-grown, squirming, clueless adult, Today, remember who you are. You'll have a chance later in the service to enact that. But remember your baptism and live today in the knowledge of and gratitude for the gift of your life and the amazing grace of God that brought you here. And if you have yet to be baptized, we love that you're here. Maybe it's time to start thinking about it, though. Maybe it's time to update your cosmic Wikipedia page to lead with a whole new section. Because this is who you are, too. Loved by Christ, bought with a price, forgiven, freed, made new in the grip. Of grace, you can't shake since the beginning of time and to until the end of it. Because this is who we are, this is who you are, too. So come on in. The water is fine. Amen.